Great is your name, Lord. We love you tonight. Amen. God bless you. you may be seated. Uh, they're handing out the lessons. And uh, Brother Shaw, I didn't give you any notice on this, but I'm going to have you pray for us here in just a minute. Um, actually, by the show of hands, rather than take specific prayer requests, is there anybody here tonight that has a need you want us to just touch the throne of grace on? Something you need the Lord to touch. Okay, Brother Shaw, would you stand and just pray for us? Pray for this lesson and for the needs tonight. Amen. Amen. Now, this is probably a standalone lesson. Um, I, uh, I actually did this lesson, a, I want to say, three or four weeks ago, I believe it was, and, uh, or I put it together. And so uh, part of the reason behind doing this is that um, there are some difficult scriptures, some scriptures that are hard to, uh, kind of hard to comprehend, hard to um, interpret or look at or when you look at them they're kind of they set you back a little bit uh and, and so uh i'm the first scripture is probably the one we're going to cover the most tonight but there's a few others as well and so uh fortunately the thing is especially regarding this first scripture we're going to be teaching on i have not had to apply this principle uh in a number of years 
but I have used this principle um, at times of need. And so we're going to read it in just a minute. But there are several, again, going to the notes, there are several difficult scriptures. When we see them, we might get confused as to what they, what they really mean. This lesson deals with a few very powerful and also some very difficult scriptures in the New Testament. Uh, the first topic deals with sin in the church. How many of you have ever wondered how uh, a pastor, how a leadership team has to deal with sin in the church? Has anybody ever wondered that? Has everybody ever thought, has anybody ever self uh, seen it dealt with? All right, I see a few smiles out there. Nobody wants to admit it. <laughs> Um, and so th this first lesson is, is that's what we're talking about. So looking at First Corinthians chapter five, and where's Nina? I'm wondering if she has, she's, she's getting the mic, or she, where is she? Oh, she's missing, missing in action. Okay, all right. So we're all in trouble because the rapture just happened, and we all missed it. <laughs> so. Let me read it then. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 1, it says, It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so, so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily, as absent in the body, but present in the spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord Jesus, your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. So, that being said, how many of you have ever wondered what this scripture means? Has anybody ever noticed it and said, okay, that's interesting. How do we do that? Or am I the only one? <laughs> so, there's some things that we'll be talking about. Paul, uh, he is writing here to the Corinthian church and deals with a, a member in the church that is committing fornication. But look at the way it's actually worded here. Um, it says to deliver such an one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. But actually going back uh, to verse 1, I'll read it. It says, it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so named among, uh, named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. And so the sin that this man is committing is he is having a sexual relationship with his father's wife. That doesn't necessarily mean his mother, by the way. All right, now everybody's looking at me like, uh-oh, how are we going to get out of this one? <laughs> and so here's the situation um, that this man, it, what he was doing was commonly known among the church. It wasn't something that was hidden. It wasn't something that was done in secret. The church know, knew about it but didn't do anything about it. 
And so Paul is saying it's commonly known that there is fornication among you and such fornication that's not even named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. Then he says, you are puffed up and have not rather mourned. What he was telling the church there is, uh, and, and I'm going to get into the details of this in a moment, is you, you should have been crying out to God regarding this. You should have been dealing with this rather than just let it happen among you. And so he said it's commonly known. So that meant that the people in the church, and it's very likely that even the people in the community uh, knew about it, and the church wasn't doing anything about it. So, so he's writing to the church. He's dealing with a member in the church that is committing fornication. Uh, number one, the man was fornicating with his father's wife. The church, notice this, and number two, this is very important here. The church thought it was being merciful and or spiritual by not dealing with the sin. All right, everybody's still with me so far. All right, and then three, Paul said that they, the church, should have mourned or they should have repented for allowing such gross, unrepentant sin. And that's the important thing. When the church was charged by Paul to deal with it, it's, it's not only that it was a mistake that was made or, uh, you know, maybe a one-time problem or something like that, but it was ongoing. It was unrepentant sin. He was not changing his life. Um, number four, he says, uh, you should have dealt with it accordingly. Number In verse three, this is number five, in verse three, Paul says, I'm not there to deal with this, but here's my judgment in the matter. He was saying, I am dealing with this just like I am there. I'm not there, he's talking about in verse three, but here's my judgment in the, in the matter. Verse 4, uh, he says, next time you gather, verse 5, this is number 7, verse 5, deliver such an one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit might be saved in the day of our Lord Jesus. Now, everybody ought to get interested. He is telling the church, next time you gather together, we want you to deliver this man to Satan. Now is anybody else interested? Or are you just glazed over like, what does that mean? <laughs> there is a specific way of dealing with it. Now, now we're not, maybe I shouldn't ask a question, but I'll just say, you know, I've made some mistakes. I've committed sin. I don't even know what it might be, but let's say in the last few weeks I have. All right, how many of you have made any kind of mistake or done anything wrong in the last few weeks or month or six months? Okay, we're not talking about getting mad because some guy runs you off the road and you hope he runs into a ditch. We're not talking about something like that. We're not talking about getting mad at the lady at Dunkin' Donuts because she put four sugars in there instead of two. All right, we're not talking about that kind of stuff. We're talking about gross, unrepentant sin. And so going back to our notes, Paul told them that this, what he was saying is put this man out of the fellowship. All right, that's what he was telling them to do. By the way, I'm not teaching this because there are any, any problems or any issues or any like, anything like that. I think it's important for us to understand uh, scriptures like this that, that kind of slap us across the face, and we got to learn what it really means. So I, I hope this is okay. So Paul told them to put this man out of the fellowship. Number one, he said, don't allow him to come to services and do not fellowship with him. 
That's what Paul was telling them to do. Now, remember, this man's sin was that he was having a sexual relationship with his father's wife. I mean, that is incredible. I mean, you know, I, listen, I'm not one to, like, label sins as one worse than the other. But if, if we were, we'd have to put this at the top of the list. This is nasty. All right. <laughs> Does anybody else agree with that? And so, so Paul says, I'm dealing with it. I'm not there, but I'm telling you how to deal with it. And next time you gather together, you're going to disfellowship him, and you are going to turn him over to Satan. All right? Now, we're going to deal with that. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. So here, here's where it kind of gets complicated. Number three, notice this. We should still show love and mercy to the extent that if we see him, we are not making it harder for him to come back to God and repent. All right? There's a way of dealing it. God, the, the, the Lord, through the prophet or through the man of God, said, Put him out of the fellowship, disassociate yourself with him, but don't make it impossible for him to come back. How many know about that scripture that says, you who are spiritual, restore such an one? And so there's th what the Corinthian church was thinking here is they were spiritual by not dealing with the sin. But Paul was telling him, you are doing wrong because there is... Uh, gross sin in the body of Christ, is it's publicly known you need to deal with it. But you need to deal with it in such a way that the person could potentially come back to God. Everybody got me so far, all right? So when he says disassociate yourself or disfellowship yourself, um, you need to understand the idea behind it is we are not going to condone the sin, and we can't allow that individual to fellowship amongst us simply because of the gross sin that they're involved with. But the idea is a discipline. This is back in your notes uh, under number four. A disciplined brother is still a brother and is never to be uh, despised even when unrepentant. Now, <laughs> again, I told you it was going to get difficult. And so if, if you knew somebody in the church God forbid we had to deal with some kind of gross sin. We had to dis disassociate or disfellowship someone. If you saw someone in the grocery store that had been disfellowshipped, you shouldn't just like go, huh, and turn your back and walk away. We're still supposed to be Christians. Just because we're Christians doesn't mean we don't deal with sin. But as Christians, we also need to understand, but for the grace of God, so go I. And so there is, a, there is a, a need in the body when necessary to deal with sin, but then uh, to understand that there's always a possibility that that person might actually come back to God, and we shouldn't make it harder for them to do so. Are, are, are you all with me so far? All right, number five here. Uh, Nina, can you read that? And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now, how many of you, if you ever made a mistake, you would want people to admonish you and not just, you know, deal in a negative way? <laughs> so um, I, I think that would be all of us. Yes. Uh, in a way, it's... Um, encouraging or reaching out to someone in a, in a sense um, maybe brother so do you have a better way to describe that mm -hmm. 
yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad the way he described that. Right, and, and that's the case most of the time. In the case of this man, not only was it gross sin, but he knew what he was doing was wrong. The church knew what he was doing was wrong, and nobody dealt with it. Um, and I'm going to get Brother Brown's comment here in just a second, but let, let's go back to Old Testament, to David. When uh, he, he committed adultery with Bathsheba, and then he had her husband murdered. In other words, he... Uh, murdered her husband to cover up his sin. Um, he went along for a period of time. We don't know exactly how long it was, but God sent the prophet to David. He told him a story revealing the sin and that it was known to God. And then what did David do next? David didn't just puff up his shoulders and say, well, I'm king, I can do what I want to do. David fell on his face before God and got right. And that's the big difference between this man and, and, and David. David got right with God. This man didn't care. Uh, go ahead. Excellent. Now, in a moment, we're going to be getting into the part that talks about how one is delivered or what it means when somebody is delivered over to Satan. But let's go to number seven here, uh, Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Okay, so notice this, number eight, this is very important. The goal of discipline is restoration. All right, I'm going to kind of tell you a few things that I, I saw in, in the past, but uh, number nine, let me read this first. Uh, disfellowshipping someone should be the last resort, but neither should it take a long time to administer judgment. This is where pastors, ministers, leadership teams have to really struggle with a situation like this because we want the person to be saved. But if, they're, if they know what they're doing is wrong and they're not willing to repent, neither should they be just able to come to church like nothing's happening. Everybody knows about it, and you're not dealing with it. You know, um, and, and so number, number 10, in times past, pastors would call a person out publicly, announce his or her sin in, ju uh, uh, in judgment. Uh, now, I've seen this done before. <laughs> It's been a long time since I've seen it done. Maybe, maybe let me ask. I don't know if I should ask, but I'm going to go ahead. 
Has anybody ever seen this done in the church where somebody was literally, this is what so-and-so is doing, they are being disfellowshipped, we have, you know, I mean, they announced this, the person's name, told the sin, said they can't ever come back again, okay? Uh, I've seen it done, all right? Um, let me ask you a question. What do you think would happen if we did that today? Right. Right. So, you know, I, I, I'm going, you know, back 15, 20 years or more, I guess, um, and I've seen it dealt with openly, you know, publicly, the sin announced, the whole deal. Um, now, I'm going to tell you my personal feeling in, in a few moments, but think about it today in our society if we did that openly, publicly in a service like a Sunday morning, what do you think would happen? Come on, somebody's got a, an opinion on this. Carlos, did you have? That's what I was looking for. Sister Liz said it. We'd probably be sued. All right? They might not win. But the church would still have to spend probably tens and twenties of thousands of dollars to defend itself. So, does that mean we don't do this anymore? It's still done, but it may be done differently. Um, and, and so, um, the concept is still the same. But, you know, when when Paul was writing to the Corinthian church some, you know, 2,000 years ago, um, th there weren't courts for them to sue somebody for saying something nasty to them, you know, or nasty about them. Uh, today, we're living in a society that is absolutely sue crazy, right? I mean, they'll, they'll sue you because you wore the wrong color suit if they don't like it, <laughs> you know. I mean, they'll sue you for anything and everything, okay? Uh, Brother Milton, did you have a comment? Yes, sir. You're putting me on the spot. <laughs> I'll tell you, the last time, the last time I remember having to deal with this, I had to put someone out of the fellowship. And um, there were a few people that knew about the sin. It was a evil, ungodly thing that was done. Um, there were a few people that know about it. The whole church did not know about it. Um, and here's, here's what I did is um, I took what I would call a board of elders, our church board, myself and the church board, we, we dealt with it. In fact, I, I even still have all of the testimonies, deposition, everything written down, and it's locked in my vault in my office from years ago. 
Um, so we, we dealt with the person, the sin. We um, had to disfellowship them. They could not come back to church, couldn't come to a fellowship events, things like that. Um, but we, always, we left the door open. We said, if you choose to repent and get right, then we will take you back and we will work with you to correct this. Uh, we also went to the victim's family and explained what we did, and they were acceptable with it. So the concept was fulfilled without making a, an announcement to 150 or 200 people. So let me ask, do you think I dealt with it appropriately? Okay. Do you think we fulfilled the letter of the law in the sense of, maybe not the letter of the law, but the concept, the idea, so the spirit behind the law? So, so in other words, there's a way to deal with it. It was dealt with appropriately. It wasn't ignored. It wasn't just shoved under the carpet. It wasn't just, you know, swept underneath the carpet. Ah, oh, we're just, you know, who, you know, uh, it wasn't any of that. Um, and now here, here's the really cool thing is I feel like I dealt with it and the elders dealt with it correctly. And the nice thing is that person, although they were out of church for a couple of years, is serving God today and has been for years. Yes. Yes, uh, as much as possible. Um, sometimes a, a victim doesn't want restoration for the for the person, um, but that's not their choice. That's God's choice. But you still have to deal with it. I mean, you, you know, you can't just ignore it and. and and you want to satisfy both parties or ho however it's involved. So, um, so again, I, I kind of say that to tell you that there is a way to deal with it. But in this day and hour, we, we, we can apply the principle, but we might have to do it slight, slightly different. Because if we do it the way it's spelled out right here, <laughs> there's going to be a lawsuit. Absolutely guaranteed 100% there will be a lawsuit. And so there's a better – now, should we not deal with sin out of fear of a lawsuit? Absolutely not. Um, so there has to be a, e a delicate balance, always with the goal of potential restoration. Yes, sir. No, I, I'll pass. Go, go ahead. Wow. All right. Now you guys are giving me some hard questions. <laughs> um. 
obviously we'd have to go to a, go to a situa situational basis, and it would have to be per situation. Um, there are times when um, a person cries crocodile tears because they got caught, um, but they're not really sorry. And a person that's really sorry is going to change their life. A person that is not is going to fall back in the same situation. I think there does come a time where we have to say, that's it. You know, you could go somewhere else if you want to get right with God, but you won't be able to come back here. Um, in order to protect people, and that's the other thing that the church is, church is charged with. We are charged with protecting the body of Christ, right? Uh, imagine if somebody committed a sin against a child. You know, um, again, I don't want to categorize sins, but if somebody did something against a child, now we, have, we are charged as a uh, body of elders, leaders, to protect children, period. That's why we have all kinds of rules in place in our Sunday school classes and every two-person rule, the whole deal. Uh, if a child has to go to the bathroom, there's a certain criteria to do that. We don't just, you know, have an adult walk into the bathroom with a child. You know, there's, there's ways of, of doing it so the child can relieve themselves, but we're sure that no adult is going to be abusing them when they're in there. Um, and so, um, so to answer your question, Sister Liz, yeah, sometimes we have to make it permanent. Um, for the protection of others, but that's a, you know, again, that's something that hopefully would never happen. Um, Sister Veronica, I saw you. Sure, and, and great point, and I'm going to get Brother Brown here, and then I'll get Brother Steve, but, but let's also make sure in the context of this lesson, and these are some really awesome points, that we understand this is not a person that just made a mistake. This is a person that made a mistake and kept making a mistake, knew it was wrong scripturally, knew it was wrong based on preaching, knew it was wrong based on the word of God, and kept on doing it, didn't care. So that's where we need to be sure. What we're and and these are awesome, awesome comments. Uh, but I want to make sure you understand that this is not something that is typically done. You know, I mean, 
it, it's a it's a done under a gross circumstance in, in a sense. Brother Brown. Well, and uh, and it's important to understand. I I, I am also a strong believer in consequences. I think that's extremely important. Um, if somebody, you know, did something really ungodly and evil, uh, you know, and was maybe a Sunday school teacher, let's say, um, and you don't just give it a week or two and say, okay, go ahead and go back. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, there's a, there has to be an assurity that there is a truly changed life. Uh, yes, sir. And it's a sign of an unhealthy body, too. Right, right. Now, I, I want to talk about for a few moments the idea of what it means to deliver somebody over to Satan. Uh, actually, Brother Steve, it's going to be quick because I want to jump into this. That wasn't here, by the way. <laughs> yeah. 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 All right, I think that's enough. We got we got enough of the context of it. Yeah. So, um, yeah. 
So now let me let me get into the scripture. In 1 Corinthians 5 and 5, go ahead and read that. Who delivers such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Okay, now this is the part of the scripture. We, we, I think we all have a grasp of the concept of what this is all talking about. Now here's the interesting part of the scripture that says that there's a time to deliver one to Satan. How many of you are now wondering what it means to do that? I mean, what do you do? Say, here, Satan. <laughs> you know, what do you do? Ask the devil to go get him? All right, devil, now get him. I, I, I know we're, I mean, but it's important. Do you, do you understand when you see a scripture like that, what does it really mean? And it's important that we understand it correctly. And so uh, I ask a question here before I move on. What do, you th what do you think it means? Of course, I answer it here, but Brother Brown. Awesome. Now, getting into the notes, it says the word deliver is a strong term indicating the ju judicial act of sentencing. In other words, it's a sentencing. It's a handling over to or handing over to punishment. So the sentence passed on a sinning believer is to um, uh, the sentence passed on a uh, sinning believer is to be given to Satan. L let me explain this. Paul excommunicated, and this is a different situation. Uh, Hymenaeus and Alexander, uh, because of their continued and unrepentant blasphemy. They were pastors with a false gospel. He delivered them over to Satan that they might not uh, be taught not to blaspheme. You see the scripture accordingly. So the meaning of the destruction of flesh, let's look at that. The result of such discipline is the destruction of the flesh, or destruction may refer to, to death. Uh, it is used frequently in connection with divine judgment on sin. But Satan has no power over the spirits of believers. When Satan attacked Job, for instance, he was only allowed to harm the man of God physically, but he, uh, and he could also destroy his possessions and afflict the body, but he could not destroy his soul. So here's the idea. I want to explain this to you. The idea is that the individual is out from under the spiritual protection of the Lord and the spiritual protection protection of fellowship with God's people. Here's what I want you to grasp. We are protected because of our fellowship with one another. We are protected because we are part of the body of Christ. We, there is, it's almost like there is a constant umbrella, umbrella over us because uh, where two or three are gathered the presence of the Lord is there or he is in their midst. Uh, but you, and this is, I want you to really grasp this concept. You are blessed simply because you are a part of the body of Christ. When somebody ceases to become a body of Christ, 
Now they're out from underneath that umbrella. They're out from underneath that protection. And so when Paul talks about turning one over to Satan, he's saying disfellowship them. And now by being out from the blessings of the fellowship, being out from under the blessings of, uh, of unified prayer and the body of Christ, now they're an open target. All right? I want you to get this concept. There are many arrows that, that have been pointed your direction that never got to you because it's almost like there's a shield around you because of being a part of the body of Christ. Some get through, yes, but most don't. We don't understand how blessed we are because we are a part of the body of Christ. There is so much that you have been protected from and shielded from just because you are a part of the body, that God, you are under the protection of God's love and mercy. But when you step out from that, now you find out, you know, there's, we, we think sometimes when, when we're going through difficult times, we're, woe is me, and life is terrible, and, you know, why doesn't God do this, and why doesn't God take care of that? But if, if you're trying to do life without God at all, it's way more difficult than it is being in a church under the protection and blessings of God, the Word of God, and everything else. I mean, it's way more difficult. So that's the idea. So never underestimate the power of fellowship with God's people. The threefold cord of God, faith, and fellowship will keep you. All right? Everybody got that? You, I mean, you should. Uh, uh, that, this was like a brilliant statement right here. All right? So, I mean, it's absolutely brilliant. You need to highlight that, you know. Put it on your Facebook page, all right? Uh, it is a brilliant statement. The threefold cord of God, faith, and fellowship, it will keep you, all right? So how does fellowship help protect and mature us? I've got that as uh, there's some lines there for you to fill in. So how does uh, fellowship help protect and mature us? Come on, somebody. Yes. I think it's done quite often. Um, it's not always advertised, but um, for instance, I'll give you a, a couple of examples recently that I thought were absolutely awesome. Um, is uh, some of the people that had needs recently have reported back that, that because of the care ministry, how many people are reaching out to them and 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 caring for them, and and even even uh, Brother Lou. And and by the way, I've got L Brother Lou's phone number here for some of you men to give him a call, but. Uh, some of you may not know this, but he, he was hiking the other day, and he fell, and he crushed a vertebrae in his neck, and he, he broke some other vertebrae in his back. And so he's home. He, he's got, you know, the, the collar around his neck, and he's, you know, not feeling very good. <laughs> so, um, but several of the men, or some of the men in the church have been calling and encouraging. That's what the body of Christ is about. 
And, and so even brother, I'm going to pick on Brother Sam, but he called them today, and Brother Lou was all psyched because he got a call from Brother Sam. Um, that's what we're for. That's what the care ministry does. That what the, is what the body of Christ does. And so we, when we come alongside each other and, and raise each other up when we're, when we're stumbling, that's what the body should do. We, we, that's really, I, I can't stress that enough. I can't hammer that enough. The body of Christ is designed to heal itself. Um, and I'll talk about that a little more. Brother Sam, you ought to comment. And uh, in the idea, and I'm going to get Brother Brown here, the idea where it says, how does, how does fellowship help protect and mature us? Um, within the body of Christ, there are people that have been in the church for years and people that just are brand new in the church. When they can come alongside, it's called, by the way, discipleship, uh, and learn from people that have been down that road, uh, it's going to help mature them quicker. Brother Brown. Amen. Uh, now let's jump into this next scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And by the way, uh, notice the part of your notes here says, maybe this the, the man did repent. Now, this is a little hard to understand, this next set of scriptures, but let's try to absorb it a little bit. Go ahead. Uh, excellent point, actually. Um, the, um, the letter was written in, in generality, I would say, the letters always went to the pastor of the church um, and, and or the elders of the church, and then they would be disseminated from there. Um, uh, so it's likely that he was the one to receive this letter, 
and the admonition that you need to deal with this. Uh, and, and so that's likely the way it went. It, it would happen the same way here, um, that it would, uh, you know, the best way for it is to come to the pastor if it's involving gross sin. Um, I'm, and I was going to, does that answer your question? All right, so I was going to tell a story before, and I'm glad you, you said that because you reminded me. I remember talking to a pastor of one of our largest churches, and um, he was telling us how that uh, one of the first questions he asks when a situation comes to him is, who knows about it? <laughs> who knows about it? Because the idea is that as the fewer amount of people that know about it, the better off it is, and the better it is to possibly deal with it and fix it. Then all of a sudden, if you know, if, if three people know versus thirty people that know, uh, you understand. And so that's kind of the concept there. So now let's read this: Second Corinthians two five one or five through eleven. But if any have caused grief, he has not grieved me, but in part, that I may not overcharge you all. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment, which was inflicted of many. So that contrariwise, if we ought rather to forgive him. And comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore, I beseech you that you would confirm your love towards him. Okay, now stop there. So we don't know for sure. We don't know absolutely 100% for sure that this scripture is now being written. Because remember, the previous scripture we talked about was out of 1 Corinthians. This is the second letter that's being written. We don't know how many years in between or months in between. But now he's writing, and he seems to be dealing with a man that was, in fact, disfellowshipped. And now he's saying, now we want you to bring him back into the fellowship. So in my opinion, based on what I see here, I believe it's talking about the same man and that he got right with God, and, and Paul is now admonishing him, all right, let's forgive him now. All right, so everybody got that? All right, so go ahead, keep reading if you would. For to this end also did I write, that I might know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient in all things. To whom ye forgive any thing, I forgive also. For if I forgave any thing, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it, in the person of Christ. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So, if I can, without getting, I, I don't want to get too far down a, a, a hard road to come back from. Um, but to me, what, what's being said here is initially deal with him, disfellowship, with him, uh, disfellowship him, and now he has come back. Now he has repented. He's got right with God. Now Paul is saying uh, we want you to bring him, bring him back, but he's also saying we know Satan's devices. We know how the devil works. And so uh, in, in my concept and my idea here, I think Paul is saying that now it's important that the body of Christ restore because if we don't, now there's going to be further potential damage that Satan could do against the body of Christ simply because we don't forgive somebody. And, and so that's what I believe it's saying. It's possible that 2 Corinthians is confirming the man did repent and now Paul is saying forgive him, receive him back, uh, it is the same, if it's the same man, again, we really don't know for sure. So let's, let's look at 1 Corinthians 5 and 6. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm reading something here. 
So Paul was rebuking the church. This, this again goes back to when Paul was dealing with the sin uh, and dealing with the problem to start with. So Paul was saying that your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. So, uh, so when it's talking about a little leaven leavens a whole lump, what is leaven in Scripture? Does anybody know? I hear yeast, sin. Uh, well, well, in particular, leaven is yeast or that, that additive you put in bread or uh, whatever to, to make it ri- rise. It, it, it permeates the entire, uh, the entire piece of bread. So, but it's scripturally speaking, leaven is a type of sin. So when it says a little leaven leavens the whole lump, what is it talking about? A little sin will affect the whole body, okay? Uh, so, again, yeast is a type of sin. So, sin will negatively affect us and the church. We all sin. None of us is perfect. Few of us can go a week without sinning uh, some sort of sin. That's not an excuse. That's not, <laughs> it's just reality, okay? There is a difference, in my opinion, between those sins of everyday life getting mad at a, you know, an awful driver wishing he'd run into a ditch or cheating on your taxes uh, on purpose or committing fornication. Now, again, I don't want to categorize one sin as above the other. So let me look at these two notes here. It says, we must be careful in trying to categorize one sin as worse than a- another. Any sin can keep us from heaven. It doesn't have to be fornication to keep you from heaven. It could be lying. It could be unforgiveness, all right? Some people think, well, okay, this sin will keep me out of heaven, but this one won't. Sin is sin. And so um, we tend to be the ones that categorize it. So I I love the way this next scripture reads, 1 John 3 and 8. This is from the Darby translation. He that practices sin is of the devil, for from the beginning the devil sinned. To this end, the Son of God has been manifested that he might undo the works of the devil. Okay. How many of you have seen a doctor in the last 10 years? Nope. Well, there's some people that aren't raising your hands. My God have mercy. Now, what's the whole idea with their practicing? Hello? Are you all out there? You're going to the doctor and he's practicing? I don't want him practicing. I want him perfect. I want, you know, you got this, all right? You know, I don't want to go, if I, if I got to go for surgery, I don't want to go for the guy that's done it the first time. You know, I mean, I'm the first one? Uh Uh-uh. No, not me. (laughs) At least not with, not with me knowing about it. (laughs) I mean, once, once I go under, it's one thing, but you know, if I know this is your first surgery, I'm like, eh, you know, there better be about a hundred people with you helping you. (laughs) So... (laughs) <laughs> sister. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that because I got like a D in English, so. <laughs> but but so but I like the way this is worded here. It says he that practices sin is of the devil. Again, uh, the reason I, I use the Darby translation here because it talks about, in my opinion, somebody that's doing it and 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 doing it. It's not just somebody that, oops, it's like, okay, 
I'm, I'm almost like you're trying to perfect it. All right? And so when he says he that practices sin or is perfecting sin, not that sin can be per perfected, so it's kind of like a play on words or a little strange, but you kind of get what I'm trying to say. It's like he's getting good at it, right? <laughs> and so, uh, so he that practices sins is of the devil. Um, and Hebrews 10, 26. For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. Okay, so now we are at another one of those hard scriptures that, w that the Bible deals with that we got to talk about. So there must be a difference between practicing sin and momentarily sinning. So what, uh, here's the big question. W what is the difference is there if there is one? Or did I already explain it? I mean, I kind of explained it, but, but what, what's the difference uh, between practicing sin and momentarily sinning? I, I guess uh, nobody's raising their hands yet, but uh, Brother Brown, yes, rescue me. what Brother, Brother Vernon said, kind of like making a career out of it. So that's where we can understand this. Brother Tim. And to go along with that, one one is a mistake, and the other is knowing what you're doing and not caring. Um, more deliberate, yes. Excellent point. I'm hoping everybody heard that. I see a couple hands. I want to get that. But that really was an excellent point, too. It is, um, uh, it's like his conscience was seared over. Um, and so um, let me kind of tell you a really quick story. Uh, when Wendy was in the hospital after she had the baby, um, I went to see Wendy and the baby. And, you know, I was there for a little while. And when I left, I was in the parking garage at uh, St. Francis Hospital. 
and I, I'm driving around, and if, if, if you've ever, ever been there, you know, you're kind of driving around, driving around all the way down. Well, when you get down to a certain level, there was no sign telling me which way, at least I couldn't see it. And so, so I took a wrong turn and immediately realized I'm driving against oncoming traffic. I was going the wrong way on a one I, in a one way. And so, so you've done a lot, Steve. Look, just look at his car and you'll see. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but, you know, here I am, and, and now I'm going towards ongoing traffic. Again, it's still in the parking garage. And so there, you know, the guy coming the other way is flashing his lights and everything. He couldn't see me inside the truck, but I guarantee you I turned about 20 shades of red. I was incredibly embarrassed, you know. I mean, it was just like 10 seconds, you know, but it still, it embarrassed me because I'm thinking like, you know, here I messed up, so I backed up really quick and I pulled out the other way and I was hoping the guy wasn't going to follow me or anything weird like that, but I was embarrassed by it. Sin should embarrass us. If it doesn't embarrass us, then something is wrong. And, and so some really good points. Let me get Veronica first, then then Glenn. That's a good point, and, and that's kind of what I want. It, it's still a difficult scripture when you just read it. That's why the lesson is about difficult scripture. It is a difficult scripture because the first time I read this, for if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, when I read that the first time, I'm like, what am I doing here then? <laughs> I may as well just leave the church, you know, because I've made mistakes since getting a knowledge of the truth. But that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about willfully. There's a difference between willfully and making a mistake or an error. Most of us when we sin, probably hopefully every one of us when we sin, it's not a willful sin. Sometimes it is. <laughs> but most of the time it's not. And so that's the big difference. Brother Brown, did you have a comment?
give you a thought. I got a message that I'm working on, <laughs> and it's about Moses. How many of you remember when Moses killed the Egyptian? Right? Look at that scripture sometime. It basically says Moses looked this way and that way. He looked all around and didn't see anybody. He buried the evidence. He buried the dead guy. And the next day he saw two Israelites fighting with each other. And what happened? They said, are you going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian? There's always spies in them, our hills. <laughs> Everybody get what I'm saying? I mean, he looked this way, he looked that way, he looked all around, and there wasn't anybody. He, he buried the evidence, but yet it was still known. The Bible says, behold, your sin will find you out. And so even though Moses thought he was getting away with it, now he ended up having to run, a, run away for 40 years to get away from it. <laughs> Brother Brown. So I'm going to try to push a little quick through this. So I'm skipping past Hebrews 6. Let's go to where it says sinning willfully. They knew what the Bible says but didn't care. They committed sin anyhow. So when it talks about no more sacrifice, what this means is although they could repent and get right, they will not. All right? They don't want to change, repent. Therefore, their sin will cause them to lose salvation. So uh, so in Hebrews 10, when it says, for when they so willfully uh, that they, uh, ha after they have received the knowledge of truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. What it's saying is, although there is potential for sacrifice, it can't apply to them because they won't apply it. That's what it's talking about. So let's jump down to our thoughts. It says, um, we should never become too casual about the presence of sin in the church. That's another brilliant statement right there. You want to put that one on Facebook too, all right? <laughs> Paul rebuked the Corinthian church for its inactivity in dealing with the sinner and his sin, saying the Lord had already judged the man to be living uh, in sin and unworthy of fellowship. So now uh, I got like two minutes. I probably shouldn't. Yes. Oh, actually, you brought up a good point. I was going to say that. It's likely that the dad was dead. <laughs> right? <laughs> I see Sister Me over there. Oh, man. <laughs> All right. And, and does everybody know what Mil uh, I was going to say Milton, but ver what Brother Vernon is talking about? Okay. All right. The man, talk, going back to 1 Corinthians, the man committed sin against, well, with his father's wife, all right? So here's the thing. I, I think what we have to understand is uh, because they called it fornication, it was likely that the father was dead. It would have been adultery if the father was alive. Go figure that one. I'll let you Bible scholars figure that out. <laughs> so, 
right, right. I already said that. So, um, so, uh, so that's important to understand. It was, it was likely that it was like a stepmom, uh, which is gross no matter what way you slice it. So, um, <laughs> but uh, so, so again, I can't. I mean, actually, I just ran out of time. <laughs> so, um, so Mark six eleven. I'm maybe I'll try to cover this another time uh, and some of these other scriptures, but. I want you to take this home with you. I want you to understand that the idea, one of the reasons I, I decided to kind of just talk about some of these difficult scriptures is, is because I don't want there to be misunderstanding. It's important that we understand the counsel of the word of God. And um, it's not just to beat up bad subjects and all kinds of things, but it's important to understand when we see scriptures that are really difficult to swallow, we do ourselves injustice if we don't work at figuring it out. We, you know, iron sharpens iron that was mentioned earlier. There are scriptures that we see, if we don't understand them, just don't let them sit there. If you have to go to an elder or go to somebody that maybe uh, has been around the block a few more times than you, then, then learn what it means. Don't just say, okay, well, I can't figure it out. Bye. All right. It's important that we learn these things. All right. I, I hope the lesson was, was, you know, some of you got good laughs out of it. So that was good there. Uh, I hope it was okay. I hope you understand where I was coming from. Thankfully, based on 1 Corinthians, we haven't had to do that kind of judgment against sin for years, and I hope I never have to do it again. So, <laughs> all right. Uh, remember, tomorrow night is Spanish service. Remember that. Saturday is men's and ladies' prayer, and then the ladies' breakfast uh, is going to be at Rebel Dog right up here in Farmington, a little closer. It's only five minutes up the road. Um, so uh, anyhow, God bless you. You're dismissed. Make sure you greet somebody before you go.